I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 2 in just a few moments. Philippians chapter 2. You know, this is a notable Sunday evening for me here in McAllen. Looking back over the last year and a half, this is the first time on a Sunday evening I've been able to speak to an audience I can see. All the other Sunday evenings, I was looking at a camera. So this is very pleasant for me. And I hope it's useful for all of us as we are equipped to be better disciples of Christ day after day. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to meet you there in just a moment. I want you to think about the Bible a minute. The Bible is not just a book of rules, one listed after the other, impersonal, without life narrative, without plot or promise or people or history. There are rules from God, authoritative, requiring our consistent attention and obedience. Commandments which should reside in our hearts and find expression in our lives. But in all that transmission of rules from God, the supreme ruler, for our good, the Bible tells us about people, real life narratives about people. Some who kept the rules from God, some who didn't, some who were better than others, all who were sinners needing God's grace. The Bible is a perfectly divinely composed combination of propositional truth accompanied by history and real life narrative. And we are able with this book to meet people who help us understand the kind of people we need to be. Would you listen, please, as I read Philippians chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not just in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father... He has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now looking over the chapter, what's happening here? The chapter opens with a description of unselfish humility. Those two words go together, unselfish humility. 
And the supreme example of unselfish humility is Jesus Christ. It says here that he emptied himself. He took on the role of a servant. He was obedient to the point of death. And all of that was for us to be redeemed from sin. That good news is framed here in the context of the subject. Unselfish humility. Now, what also helps me understand what this is, is Paul brings up two men who were unselfish and who exhibited humility. Two men who were guilty sinners until they obeyed Christ, redeemed by His blood. Two men who were not perfect. I'm certain they did not see themselves as perfect, as meriting glory and praise. Two men who encountered various difficulties were not handed a comfortable, sheltered life. But they serve God unselfishly and with the humility that they learned of through the example of Jesus Christ. Two men like us whose commitment to Christ found expression in unselfish humility at a level of commendable courage of faith. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul certainly was unselfish and humble. Jesus is the supreme example. So there is a total of four illustrations of unselfish humility in Philippians chapter 2. It is described in the opening verses. Paul, who was the writer, was unselfishly humble. And then Timothy and Epaphroditus. I want to focus Tonight on two good men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. First, there is Timothy. Let me, let me read this paragraph again about Timothy. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also." Paul considered it a privilege to have a friend like Timothy to help him and to help others by preaching and living the gospel. These men met at a place called Lystra during Paul's first missionary journey. Timothy accompanied Paul part of the time during his second missionary journey. Timothy worked as an evangelist in Corinth at Ephesus and Philippi. And here in Philippians 2.19, Paul says he wanted to send Timothy to the saints at Philippi. 
He wanted Timothy to see how they were doing and report back to Paul. Now remember, Timothy was with Paul in Rome when Paul wrote the letter. You go back to Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. But notice how Paul describes Timothy with these words. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Literally, from the Greek, the phrase is, no one of equal soul. Timothy had become such a dependable co-worker and friend. Paul didn't know of anyone like him. Timothy had become such a dependable co-worker and friend. Paul didn't know anyone like him. It is refreshing to have friends who are so valuable and precious, you don't know anyone like them. That was Paul's regard for Timothy. Paul said in one translation, he will sincerely care for your state. May I say this? You don't want a preacher who doesn't care about people. You don't want a preacher who doesn't care about people. A man may be eloquent and educated and easy to listen to and efficient and a good student and he knows so much Bible, but if he doesn't sincerely care for people, he will not have the total impact that God desires. There are men who love to study and can take what they study and put it into sermon structure and good class material. And they are sound in their teaching and preaching, but they would rather not be bothered by people and their problems. Not Timothy. He sincerely cared. Paul says of Timothy, this is from the New King James all seek their own, not the things of Jesus Christ, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Paul reflects on the common selfishness of people. All seek their own, not the things of Jesus Christ. And this might be tied to what Paul observed earlier in Philippians chapter 1 when he talked about those who were preaching but from selfish ambition and not sincerely. Paul is saying Timothy is not in that class. He really cares for people and he is heartily devoted to the things of Jesus Christ. And the Christians at Philippi knew this about Timothy. You know, even those who may be introduced to you as a good person, who have good recommendations and expectations, there is nothing like personal experience with someone over time. The Christians at Philippi knew Timothy personally. So Paul's intention was to send this good young man to Philippi, trusting that he himself could come shortly. Let me remind us, this chapter begins with a description of a right attitude, 
unselfish humility, written by a man who was unselfishly humble, the Apostle Paul. The supreme example is Jesus Christ, and now the Apostle Paul holds up this man as an illustration of this attitude. The takeaway is this. Righteous living has in it this well-ingrained attitude of unselfish humility. If I know who I really am before God, if I see myself authentically, accurately, by using the word for self-awareness, I will look out for people. I will love and care for people, even if that love should entail personal sacrifice. Here in Philippians 2, the subject is unselfish humility, exhibited by Paul, exhibited supremely by Jesus Christ, and exhibited by Timothy. See, this book not only has rules from God we need to follow, but rich illustrations and personal narratives to help us understand what God expects of us. Epaphroditus, 25 to 30, listen again. This is the paragraph about Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in service to me. I want you to notice how Paul describes Epaphroditus in five different phrases in verse 25. My brother... Paul knew him as a brother in the Lord, a member of the same family, fellow worker. He was active, working in the same cause as Paul, fellow soldier. He was enlisted in the Lord's army alongside Paul. Your messenger sent out by the church at Philippi to deliver help to Paul and the one who ministered to my need. Five descriptions of a man who also exhibited unselfish humility. He had the heart of a servant. He was willing to be sent to carry messages, even putting his life at risk, ready to sacrifice Epaphroditus. Concerning this man's health, Paul offers some comment. Let me ask you, generally speaking, when you are sick, what are you concerned about? Getting well. 
When I'm sick, I'm concerned about me. I want people to help me. I want the doctor to help me. I want the pharmacist to give me the medication I need. I want my wife to bring me food and stuff. Isn't that generally true of us? When we are sick, we are often self-focused. When Epaphroditus was sick, what was he concerned about? Who was he concerned about? His brethren in Philippi being concerned about him. Verse 26, he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. This too shows the subject of Philippians 2, unselfish humility. The NIV says he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. He doesn't say I was distressed because I was ill. He says, I was distressed because you heard that I was ill. That's unselfish humility. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should sorrow upon sorrow. And I want us to notice this was no casual everyday illness. He almost died. It says sick almost unto death. A serious illness, but God had mercy on him. That's what we pray about our brothers and sisters when they are ill. That God would have mercy on them. Let me make an observation here. While the apostles had the ability to heal... It was not for personal health purposes. The apostles did not open up a clinic. I'm talking about miraculous healing that was instant and obvious, confirming that God was with these men who were delivering that message. That was the purpose. Not to go around the country and set up a clinic. Contrary to the claims of many today, the ability to heal was limited in time and limited to certain people. And it was not for overall personal health purposes. So, Paul was sick. Timothy was sick. Epaphroditus almost died. But these details are not in the forefront of Paul's mind here. His concern is to convey to the Philippians what the situation is with their messenger, their brother, Epaphroditus. And you understand Paul is probably saying things Epaphroditus wasn't anxious to talk about. We believe Epaphroditus delivered this epistle to the Philippians and helped back from the Philippians to Paul. He was not the kind of man who would come in talking about his ailments or his pain. So Paul's concern here is to convey to the saints at Philippi the recent events concerning their brother, and their brother illustrated the subject of Philippians chapter 2. Unselfish humility. Once again, we see in these verses the care 
that Christians had for each other, the warm, close relationship they had for each other in Christ. And it says in verse 29, hold such men in high esteem. We worship God, we follow Christ. We ought not to think of men more highly than, in, than what is proper and right, but hold such men in high esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. That's the risk that Epaphroditus was willing to place on his own health and safety for the sake of the cause of Christ. Timothy and Epaphroditus. People like us illustrating unselfish humility. My wrap-ups. There's great value in the personal examples given in the Bible. Not only does God give us principle, He gives us people to understand the principles better. The narratives of real people and how they responded to God is of great value for us today. Let me illustrate. Name some sin, any sin, and there are examples in the Bible of people who committed that sin and bore the consequences, the guilt, and the punishment. Let's try that. Stealing, Achan, adultery, David, drunkenness, Noah, hypocrisy, Peter, arrogance, diatrophies, betrayal, Judas. See, we not only have the rules and principles and prohibitions, we have personal narrative illustrations to help us get the point. Now, work that same exercise in the, in the other direction. Name some good work or attitude, and there are people on the pages of this book who illustrate that aspect of righteousness. So faith, Abraham, moral courage, Joseph, courage, John the Baptist, steadfast, the apostle Paul, a learner and teacher, Apollos, unselfish humility, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. One common element of character in Jesus. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus demonstrate genuine care for people. That was a product of their genuine reverence for God. Name one person in the Bible who was genuinely devoted to God, loved God with a whole heart, lived in obedience to God, but didn't care anything about people. You can't. You just can't. See, in the Bible, there are things that go together and cannot be separated. If I really love God, my Creator, and seek to activate that love in my life, conduct, and thinking... I will love people and care for people <clears throat> and treat people right and seek to help and serve and uplift. And then I need to ask myself, every time I read about this account of Epaphroditus, would I die for the work of Christ? Would I die for the work of Christ?
I went to the Philippines in 1981 and there were Muslim rebels threatening the peace and safety of the people. And in fact, it was under the rule of martial law enacted by Ferdinand Marcos and there were occasions where those rebels would disrupt a religious gathering and put a rifle to the head of the speaker and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And there were some who answered, Jesus who? They didn't, they didn't stand in the face of that threat. Now, they didn't do that to us while I was there in 81, but it's worth good thought. Would you die for the work of Christ? Listen to this, please, as I close in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to continue at verse 28 about Epaphroditus. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Philippians chapter 2. Read it again when you get home or this week. Unselfish humility written by a man who was exhibiting unselfish humility, the Apostle Paul, the supreme example of Jesus Christ, and then to better help us understand what it means to be unselfishly humble, Timothy and Epaphroditus. May that better equip us to be faithful disciples of Christ. Let's be standing as we sing.